Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, we've had the holidays, and I have a cold. We had the kids up for Christmas, three grandkids, and uh, they were all sick, and my wife got the cold, and I got the cold as a result. So I'd planned on talking a little more about the introduction to this podcast, but uh, I don't think I'm going to, but let's get right to it. This is going to be the first of three episodes of Jack Andrews, and Jack right now is on his way across the Atlantic from the Canary Islands into the Caribbean. But before Jack left the Canary Islands, I had a chance to speak with him on three different podcasts. You know, it's it's so easy to talk to Jack. He he is so informative. He just takes my questions and runs with them. And I always like to talk to Jack. It's like just talking to a friend. So it's easy to do the interviews with Jack. Also, I have about four other episodes of other interviews in the can, but I just haven't had the time to uh, do all the other stuff that's associated with putting out a podcast. But I'm going to be putting out the three episodes with Jack uh, in the next three weeks. Even though I had planned on doing podcasts every other week, I think these three episodes need to be lumped together. So look forward to those. But before we get to the first of the three interviews with Jack, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. Oh, and I'm proud to say that Sailrite has come on to continue sponsoring this podcast for 2020. And I will be talking to Zach Grant in the future, just short short interviews about what's going on at Sailrite. Again, I would not let them sponsor the podcast unless I thought they were a great company to begin with. Looking for a sewing machine that's both portable and powerful? Look no further than the legendary Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1. Take it to the marina, store it on your boat. The Ultrafeed goes where you go. This high-performing, heavy-duty machine sews both in zigzag and straight stitch. The Ultrafeed can handle your toughest jobs with absolutely zero loss of power or skip stitches. It breezes through up to 10 layers of Sunbrella canvas and 8 layers of Dacron sailcloth. With the most dependable all-metal internal components, the Ultrafeed is a piece of well-engineered machinery that's built to last. Sailrite has been building the Ultrafeed for over 20 years. This tried-and-true powerhouse machine comes with a five-year limited warranty and the best customer service in the industry. The machines are assembled, fine-tuned, and tested at Sailrite's manufacturing facility by a team of highly trained technicians. Every machine is calibrated and tested before it's shipped to guarantee both smooth operation and machine quality. Take your sewing skills to the next level with the Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1 sewing machine. Before we get on to the interview, the first of the three interviews with Jack, I want to thank Ken Schwabenton, who took the time and went into the iTunes or the Apple podcast directory and wrote a review for the podcast. There's several ways you can support the podcast. One of these ways is giving me a pat on the back once in a while, and that's what Ken did. And that makes me feel good when when people take the time to write a review of the podcast. Ken wrote, thanks, Franz, for a great podcast. I found this podcast about a year ago while researching just about sailing in the Mediterranean. 
It's been a great source for information and motivation. Franz recently took the time to answer my email in the podcast. As an American sailor, there's not a ton of information for Americans wishing to sail in the med. This podcast has been gold. Thanks, Ken. I really appreciate you taking the time to write that review. So there's several ways you can support the podcast. Buy my audio products, which are audio lessons for the ASA 101, the 103, or the 104. Write a review in your podcast directory. Uh, Become a producer. By being a producer, I mean that you go out and do some interviews that you think should be presented on the podcast and send them to me, and I would listen to them and perhaps do some editing and put them out as podcast episodes. The only person that's done that for me so far, or the only two people that have done that for me, are Neil Fletcher and Jack Andrews. I've got a, a very busy several months coming up. Later this month, I'm going up to Vancouver, Washington for a conference, an investment conference. I'll be up in Washington from the uh, 18th until the 21st, Vancouver, Washington. Then I come back and go to the Sundance Film Festival from the 21st of January until February 4th, I think. February 5th, I head to New Zealand for a month and come back. And then the next month, I'm heading to Indiana, South Bend, Indiana. So I'm going to actually probably drive across the country because I need to bring some things back from South Bend. My mother passed away this summer, as I told you in a previous episode, and we were trying to clean out our house and get the house sold. So we need to go back there. My, myself and my two sisters will be back there working on that. And then not too long after that, I'll be heading over for my two months sailing in the Mediterranean. I've already got my route pretty much set up. And I'm just trying to figure out when my family's joining me, and then I'll put out the invitations to the other people after that. Again, first comes clients, and then comes friends after that. Well, actually, there's a couple friends that get top priority because they've helped me so much in the past, and that would be Dave Harris and Kevin Iyer. And then, uh, and then after that will be uh, my clients, and then after that will be just friends that I've invited along. This year, I don't think I'm going to have that many open invitations out there. I know I've got one of my listeners, a physician out of Florida, became a client of mine, and he's going to be invited to go sailing with me. And he's going to be bringing a friend of his with him, so it'll be fun. It'll be nice to meet somebody new. All right, with that out of the way, let me get on to the first of three interviews with Jack Andrews on his summer of 2019 and his preparation for sailing across the Atlantic. I'm with Jack Andrews. Jack and I have a lot to catch up on. It's like giving a friend a call and seeing what he's done over the last year. Jack, you're in the Canary Islands getting ready to make the big hop to the Caribbean, something that has taken several years longer than you originally anticipated. And I want to catch up with what you've done over the last year. I think it's been about a year since we talked, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it's it's been amazing. It's been a long, long time. Um, We we certainly had such a busy year uh, at Marina de Ragusa in the winter and um, just sailing this season. The, um, I mean, you know, we sort of kicked off a group of people that were crossing the Atlantic this uh, this season 
from Marina de Ragusa. And there's like about 13 boats that are doing that. So it's uh, we're quite involved in a lot of, I don't know, sort of advice, guidance, getting people together. Um, you know, we sort of got a group of 20 odd children together at Marina de Ragusa for the last year that we were there. Um, so it's, it's been very, very social and um, also quite busy at work. So, so it's, been, it's been very, very small amount of time for anything else um, except for, you know, real life items and a bit of work and getting the boat ready. Um, we've done a lot of work on getting the boat ready. And uh, yes, like you said, I'm certainly glad we didn't go crossing an ocean in the first couple of years that we had the boat. Um, we're right next to a bunch of people that have got new boats that are only six months old and they picked them up this year in the summer um, planning to cross an ocean and they're pulling their hair out with all the teething issues that they're getting with everything you know water leaks um, electronic gremlins the whole lot <laughs> um, so while well, we're sitting here sort of fairly comfortable knowing that if we had to leave tomorrow <clears throat> all we'd have to do is put some food on the boat and we'd be good to go. You so, you you think you've worked out most of the bugs <laughs> in your boat and it took you a while to do that, I I gather then. Yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't a new boat anyway. I mean it was a it's a two thousand and two and um as Matt Rutherford always complains about the Bavarias uh not being an ocean going boat. Uh, that's not what they're designed for anyway. And I think that's a key thing is you, you buy the boat for your circumstances. And, and in our circumstances, certainly for our first boat, you know, we wanted something that we could make a mistake on and give it up without a problem. Um, something that was easy to sell if we needed to sell it. Something that was, you know, commonplace. Uh, fairly reliable for for the money that you could buy it. It was an ex charter. We we've got the you know three kids, so four cabins was great. Charter boats are good for that. Owners boats different, right? If you wanna if you wanna buy a boat and it's just the two of you, a, a retired couple, don't buy a charter boat. You know, buy an owner's version. That's probably what you want. Um, if you wanna go crossing oceans, don't buy a Bavaria. Because Bavarias are for coastal cruising, but I tell you what, you know, we've got plenty of boat, boats that are designed to cross oceans, and there's no room in the cockpit, and we're sitting around having a beer with our knees up to our chins and squishing into cockpits that are not designed to have any entertainment at all on them. Hey, quit describing yeah. my boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, you, you've, I think. You have to pick the boat for your circumstances. And, um, you know, our mascot for um, for this crossing of the Atlantic, our first ocean crossing, I mean, for starters, it's um, probably one of the easiest ocean crossings around. So I don't think you get much credence from salty sea dogs for crossing the Atlantic, you know, from the Med to the Caribbean. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it, but our mascot for this crossing is Barrel Guy, and I'm not sure if you know, but like last year there was a, a French man that decided to cross the Atlantic in a barrel. <laughs> I didn't know which that. He, 
Yeah, yeah, he home he built this thing himself. I mean, he's a sailor. He, he's at sixty odd years of age, and so I think he ran out of interesting things to do in his life. So he decided to build a barrel, fill it with red wine and cheese, and um, float across the Atlantic from. I'm not sure if he left from the Verdes or the Canaries. I think probably the Verdes. I think he left from the Verdes. Took him three months, and this is all happening. Uh, last year, so obviously it took him three months, so he was quite late in arriving, and you know, we're sitting around in Marina de Ragusa and going, well, there's this guy, he's going to cross the Atlantic uh, in a homemade barrel, <laughs> and he's just going to use the wind and the tide to cross the Atlantic, and um, he made it, thankfully, because being a mascot for us <laughs> would have been a problem, <laughs> so, so anyway, so if barrel guy can do it, a Bavaria can do it. <laughs> Okay, here it is. I'm looking up the internet. French barrel sailor crosses Atlantic of Rise in Martinique. <laughs> a 72-year-old Frenchman bobbed his way and, across the Atlantic. <laughs> and how about that? I mean, he even made it to Martinique, the French part of the Canaries, right? <laughs> it was I mean, so it was meant to be. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He obviously was starting to run out of wine and cheese. I bet you he's first in there with, at the store to get the baguettes. <laughs> it does not look like a... I wonder if he had any sort of keel at all on this. I mean, it would just roll like a barrel, I would think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, when you say barrel, I mean, yeah. it is a barrel, but it's a pretty big barrel. Yeah, it's pretty big, yeah. He's got plenty vessel. of room down below, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no propulsion of any type, it doesn't look like. No, maybe, no. Yeah. The, the, he sort of got close to uh, the Caribbean and, and started calling on the VHF for uh, somebody to tow him in. <laughs> well, so Barrel Guy is doing it, and you're going to do it, but in uh, with actual sales. So you'll zip across there in a couple of weeks probably then. Well, yeah, that'd be nice. I think we're going to do the run line from the Canaries when we've decided to not do the Verdes unless that's the better line wind-wise. Um, and obviously, if we can get really close to the Verdes, maybe we'll stop there and have a look around. But um, but if the wind's good, we'll just go straight across. In actual fact, we missed Gibraltar. Um, we we were in Almerima, mm -hmm. um, which is near Almeria in Spain. Mm -hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> And we saw a window for going through the Gibraltar Strait. And we thought, well, if we don't take this window, we're probably going to have to wait a couple of weeks for the next one. So Julia, in her in her weather routing, um, I guess, position said, you know, we should go. And I looked at it and I thought, well, yeah, okay. Everyone else has been talking about tides and, you know, Gibraltar and I'm going to, I'll be sad not to stop in Gibraltar. And I looked at it and we got, we had, you know, 20-ish plus knots on the nose and a current against us. And we went through the jib straight with 20-odd knots of wind against us and the current against us. And we did it. <laughs> it, it, uh, it was surprisingly easy. Because everyone's telling you how hard that thing it can be, right? Well, you know, and, people, uh, people make a big deal of that. And I've only been through the Gibraltar Straits one time coming from the Atlantic through. And I just came down from Barbate and 
motored through and that was it. And I'd never really even thought about it being that difficult. Of course, I must have had ideal conditions because I don't even remember worrying about it. But I guess a lot of people worry about it then. I think, yeah, a lot of people do. I mean, it's sort of like the Messina Straits, you know. Actual fact, the Messina Straits are probably more troublesome than what the Gibraltar Straits are to me from my experience. Not that it's much because I've only gone through each one once. Mm -hmm. um, but the the Jib Straits, you know, you've got such you've got such more uh, width in that um, in that channel, mm -hmm. and um, there's local fishermen that are there every day, right. and they just hug the coast. So you know, you could just you just follow the uh, twenty meter or sixty foot contour. So you got plenty of opportunity not to hit anything because you've got plenty of leeway mm -hmm. and the current is so much reduced along uh, the coast um, there were guys trying to sail it and then push it in the middle and they're just like falling behind we're just like hugging the coast and going right past them easily mm -hmm. um, as soon as we went out into the middle we were down to two knots if you go to the side we we're doing fine yeah, when I came through, that's exactly what I did. I just hugged the uh, north side of the Gibraltar Straits and went on through and went into Gibraltar. It was, I didn't even think of it as being something I should worry about. So that's interesting. Yeah. 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 But then you had the um, supposedly easier passage because um, from what I have heard, and this is not gospel, but uh, there's a general current that is always flowing into the Mediterranean right, because right. the Mediterranean's evaporating faster than the rivers can supply it um, so therefore it's the Atlantic there's always a subcurrent going in even though there might be a surface current going out right yeah I know there's a current going one direction on the surface and another one down below because it's uh, it's uh, just basically one one is going one direction and the other I can't remember what it was but I guess it is the the surface is going in and the down lower is going out because that's more salinic and going out. So the fresher water is coming is in at the top, and the um, the uh, more salinic water is going out at the bottom down below. So that's what it is. Yeah, so you're right. I had the current going with me. So, yeah. So yeah. I, so let's, let's back up a little bit because, yeah, geez, yeah. the last time I talked to you, I mean, it's been a whole year. So, so you spent the winter getting together with a lot of people at Marina Ragusa, and creating yep. your own we rally, it sounds like, then, to, uh, to cross. Yeah, we did. I mean, it was never a rally intended to all leave at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, unlike the ARC and the ARC Plus. Uh, and, you know, we are in the marina currently where the ARC left from. And we arrived here um, just as they were leaving. So we, we had to anchor out of the marina. <clears throat> we took photos of some of the boats that we knew that were in the ARC. And it was... You know, it was a pleasure watching 200-odd, well, nearly 200 boats. I think it was about 190 mm -hmm. uh, all heading off. And, uh, you know, it took, pretty much took them all morning to, to leave and head off and start their course and their journey. Um, and some of those boats are very close to arriving now. And then after this marina emptied, we were able to... Um, go into the anchorage first and then take a spot in the marina. And I, I'll probably go through that later with you because that's that was a funny process in itself. Um, but, yeah, so, so Marinda Ragusa for winter again um, couldn't get away from the place. 
Um, you, you like know, it. Through, I mean, it's really a community, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah, and there's many friends there still left behind as a result. And, and a lot of the people that we're crossing with, obviously we met there, and there's actual fact, there's one boat that is you know, going to be effectively leaving the same day as we are, so we're going to leave together. Some of the boats that were as part of this group of boats leaving from Ragusa to cross have left for the Verdes already. Some will be leaving with us. So I think we'll have, a, we're planning to have about four boats going together. We've got probably three going together. And last year there was about three boats all heading across. Paul Manzano was one of those guys mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, you interviewed. Right. Um, he, he pretty much stayed in contact with another boat from Ragusa within VHF range for almost the entire passage. Um, so the intention is to sort of do something similar to that. Um, it, and, the, you know, the closest boat to us is a kid boat as well. So the kids sort of have this ability to gravitate together and keep parents together as well uh, on boats. So, yes, that's what Marina de Ragusa was about for us, leaving people that we'd sort of seen for the last three years um, but bringing some of them with us to the Caribbean, which is great. And not that they're coming with us, they were all going to go anyway. Um, so a lot of knowledge. I mean, the, the beauty about it is that there's, there's a boat that's crossing the Atlantic this year that turned up in Marina de Ragusa, joined in the community. And the amount of information, knowledge, experience in when you have 100 liverboard boats together over a winter of six months means that um, you very quickly learn um, what it's like to cruise, to sail, you know, to, to cross oceans. All that information is passed down to you, theoretically, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. get the experience. But you certainly, you build the information, you, you know, you can, you get the help in changing your boat and getting it ready um, from both knowledge, experience, tools, it's all there. Um, so, so that's one of the boats that sort of kicked off their previous summer was their first summer, spent the winter at MDR and are now crossing uh, with us. And, you know, they felt that that wouldn't have happened if they weren't surrounded by the people that were there at MDR. So, yeah, so it's a bit of a magnet. It, it's inexpensive to stay there in the water. It, it's the south side of Sicily, so it's relatively warm compared to other parts in the med it's protected from swell so that's great so you don't have this surge effect that some of the other marinas have um and the community's great so and it's a fairly central right i mean mm -hmm. if you want to go to greece or if you want to go to spain it's roughly about the same distance so wherever you want to cruise in the mediterranean it's about the same distance you know two days three days you're there mm -hmm. yeah um so, so I do like that aspect of it. So yeah, we left Marina de Ragusa, um, headed off to Syracuse was our first port. Uh, we did the Messina Straits and then cut across the north of Sicily over to Sardinia, Corsica, um, the so, south coast so of going, France. So going, let me back, let's slow down here. Let's slow down here. Going through Messina, yeah. did you see the big, uh, um, the big boats with the long bow sprints, the uh, sailfish spears. Did you see those boats? 
So we went through at night. Oh, okay. Didn't okay. see the boats. All right. But in the morning, we saw them heading out. Oh, okay. So, yeah, but not close because, yeah, they were on their way out. We're a coastal um, because uh, there's two channels to go through. If, you know, you're staying out of the main part of it, there is uh, on the charts there's an area that marked that you can go through without any problems at all that we saw lots of, I tell you what, the ferry traffic was pretty heavy at one point. Mm. Um, I mean, they're very aware, uh, but yeah, the, the, the ferry traffic was pretty heavy. And as soon as we got out of the Messina Straits, there was a bloody cruise ship coming in. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, 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 you know, the amount of space you have to enter from the North, it, it's a very na narrow entry. It is, yeah. Um, they, I mean, they're piloted for obvious reasons because narrow entry and, you know, high current area. But it's certainly an experience. Um, one of the other boats that we we were with uh, caught up to us a few days later and they, they ended up picking up uh, a bit of plastic in their propeller and he had to actually jump in the water in the Messina Strait oh, whilst wow. he was... Wow. Yeah, I, I just measured it on Google Earth. It's 1.73 miles. So, yeah, it's pretty narrow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and is that at the very northern part? Yeah, that's right at the north. That's at the narrowest spot that I can see. Yeah. Yeah, so you got, you know, two ships either side plus small craft and... Um, and, shall and shallow around. and shallows closer to the edge. So that's yes. that's from shore to shore. Just some areas along the, you know, in the so deeper. So that wouldn't area. be the navigable. Part, no, that's part, not the right? navigable no. part. That's just the yeah. from shore to shore. So you probably got to yep. get a quarter mile offshore to on the, at least on the the Sicily side. It looks like it's shallow out for about a quarter mile, maybe even longer. So, yeah. Yeah. With so backing up a little bit as well before we even set off this year um and we've done 3050 nautical miles of sailing this year mm. so not that much but you know a reasonable start um the we went to uh malta um in march oh okay um and we had the standing rigging replaced uh all the through holes replaced um, Annie Fowl, um, and we had to um, replace our rudder housing. Really? Um, so, yeah, so there was a... And this this had actually been there from the onset because when I looked at the first survey pictures, it was, it was there. I mean, even before the survey pictures, the pictures that I took, it was there. So the aluminium housing for the rudder bearing has two sections to it and what happened was that the aluminium housing uh, for the bearings was starting to corrode and as it corroded it expanded and mm. with the expansion it was cracking the fiberglass that was um, bedding it in right so so fairly thick fiberglass and the fiberglass was seeing cracks in it and you could see this little powder, white powder from the aluminium corrosion right so so we thought that if we're going to cross an ocean, um, we should get that replaced. So, so this, so this is basically so this is basically a tube that comes from 
it's uh, the 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 rudder shaft runs through up to the uh, to where it connects to the steering gears. Is that correct? Yes. So what? Yeah, it doesn't. The the tube doesn't go all that uh, way up. I mean, it goes way above the waterline. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a rubber dam around it. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> so this is the tube that is bedded into uh, the bottom of the boat, uh, and it's got the very thick fiberglass around it, and then that sort of um, molds into the rest of the hull. And it was right at the lip, where the very top, where it was meeting the, the tube, that it was showing these cracks, and these cracks were relatively deep. Um, you know, when the when the fiberglass guy looked at it, he said, "Look, you know, it's a three hundred euro repair. If you're gonna sail in the Mediterranean, you know, put some more fiberglass on it. It's it's unlikely that it's gonna gonna have any major issues with it." Mm-hmm. He says, "But that's not. It's not gonna make it go away. It'll it'll eventually keep cracking the new fiberglass." So as long as your rudder's moving freely, you're probably okay. But they said, you know, well, we want to plan to cross the the Atlantic this year. So he said, well, if that's the case, you probably want to repair this properly. So in effect, they just put a big hole in the boat and okay. rebuilt the whole thing up again. Okay, so they and basically cut it out from the bottom and brought it out and then build a new tube. Did you go with stainless steel or did you go with aluminum? What did you go with again? Um, the, I think Bavaria released an upgrade to them and they're all plastic. Oh, okay. so it's, yeah, it's a plastic housing with, with a new bearing. So there's no more rust issues or no more corrosion issues, um, with the aluminum. So the aluminum is gone. Um, so it's fine. It's, it, it, it's now, and it's solid as, and the other thing about it is that it's, it's, I mean, it's a spade rudder. It's not Skegger, mm-hmm. Skegger. So it's connected, um, you know, near the steering section, mm-hmm. and it's connected at that, at, at in this area where where it's going through the bottom of the boat. So you've got two connection points that are fairly sturdy. Obviously, it's still vulnerable to be sheared off by something because it's not protected by a skeg. But as far as the um, solidity of it, it's pretty good. This is a Bavaria 45, is that right, Jack? Uh, it's a Bavaria, the model's for, Bavaria 44. 44, okay. Yeah, but the 46s has got the same sort of structure to them as well. Okay, yeah. And I think the 47 is the same, and from what I've seen. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so, we, so in Malta we had that done, the standing rigging. The standing rigging was um, pretty good, I mean, that was... That only cost us about six thousand euro to replace every single fitting and cable to do with the rigging. Uh, mast down, ran new cables in it, new lights, new aerials, all that sort of stuff. Um, we'd already replaced a couple of through holes the previous year, so we decided to do the rest of the through holes this year. Um, I'm at ten thousand dollars so far. So now, now we got the through holes over here. Uh yeah. Well, Malta was expensive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah but you know, and well, the painting, the hard stand, um, a few other small things, 
then the sort of stuff you buy multiplus accommodation and (laughs) (laughs) that's a good thing you're still working then right (laughs) yeah yeah that's right yeah Yeah. it's a very good thing i'm still working but yeah this is it i mean uh, um we feel fairly comfortable about crossing because the amount of upgrades and things that we've done on the boat for the last four years um and our own awareness and safety procedures and you know equipment and familiarity with the way the boat handles in in conditions is making us feel a lot better about it i mean we did this like i said the the trip to the canaries we did straight from almerima we didn't stop in gibraltar because we wanted a window down south to the canaries which we got and that was six days and six nights and then we've done another overnight from Lanzarote to Gran Canaria. So we've we've done, like I said, 3,050 nautical miles this year, and, and they've all been pretty smooth sailing. It's It's been pretty good. Obviously, we haven't done as much sailing in the Mediterranean, which no one does. No, no, you end up motoring a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but... We did lots. We've done lots of sailing since we got into the Atlantic. I mean, the the reliability of the weather forecasts and the steady winds. Um, it's fantastic. It's nice. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't get this fluky, short sharp seas with unpredictable winds like you, like the Med is. The Med's certainly a challenge um, for um, for new sailors. I think you know you sort of. Um, you, you don't know what to expect. You don't know when it's going to hit you. It's it's sort of like there's a squall around every corner, but you, it's not a squall. You know, you don't, you don't see it coming. It, it's some named wind or it's some geographical feature that creates the extra wind, and all of a sudden it hits you. And the only thing you'll see is the, uh, the water is churned up, it's, you know, 10 feet in front of you, and you go, why is that? Yeah. Yeah. So from so you went okay. Let's go back to your route. I'm as I'm zooming in on Google. You went through the Messina Straits. Did you stop at the uh, Aeolian Islands at all, or did you just continue straight from there? Oh, yeah, we we did. We um, and that was awesome. So um, we Stromboli was was great. We had fantastic weather in Stromboli. We we ended up anchoring uh, out. Really, I I never on thought it was point. safe to anchor off Stromboli. So you must have perfect weather to do that. Then. Yeah, we 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 were lucky. We had perfect weather, um, and then a month after that, we you know the, the thing blew up and some hiker got killed. Um, but we had some fantastic. Uh, we we climbed up at about up to about four hundred meters elevation, because um, you can do guided hikes up Stromboli and you can do. Um, just you know, you can just hike up yourself, and I think there is a limit where they require you to have a paid guide. And I think up to 400 meters, it's fine, and then above that's another 400 meters, and that's where you sort of have to have a guide, according to them. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's people that climb up by themselves anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we had some spectacular scenery as as the you know. The oldest lighthouse in Mediterranean, as mm-hmm. you described it, that's right, was uh, erupting because we we left the anchorage at night and just sort of cruised past. 
just wa wanting to to see some eruptions and they were just great i mean they were happening all the time but in the daytime of course you don't see anything uh you hear it and you see some rocks falling down but in nighttime you see all the um the the, the glow from the yeah, lava the and the eruption yeah. yeah 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 so were you anchored right around where the ferry pulls in and out then right around the little town up there so if you if you look at the maps um it's the easternmost tip. Yeah, uh, that's where I'm looking at. Yeah, because yeah. there's a little beach that comes off of that. It looks like. Yeah, yeah that's right. The town's there, so you just like dinghy ashore, and um, that was amazing. It was pretty good. Uh, really, really good weather. Surprisingly good weather for us. Okay. So yeah, that those islands are great. You need the right weather for them for sure. Yeah. I must say that uh, Stromboli was fantastic. Volcano was less fantastic <laughs> we decided to go and do that <laughs> did you we get decided in... to do the mud pits oh and that stinks for weeks the, the after salt, that the sulfur pits <laughs> no, weeks it was like forever like yeah. the entire season <laughs> yeah. all our clothes and like we you know you take a couple of items of clothing and and you only have your you know your bathers to to go in the, the pit uh but the those just and your skin, uh, and it just absorbs the sulfur to such a degree that it permeates through the entire wardrobe that you have afterwards. <laughs> so if you ever go to a volcano and decide to do the sulfur pit, be warned that you'll be smelling sulfur for at least six months yeah. afterwards in some of the items of clothing. I've done it, some, yeah, exactly. Some fabrics yeah. are worse than others, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you anchor there just off the, uh, off the sulfur mud pots? Um, it was pretty busy when we were there, so we ended up taking a mooring. Uh, they've got a couple of mooring boys okay, there, okay. so it was easy. It was forty, I think it was forty euro, you know, fairly peak season, and you know you're done. You don't have to worry about it because anchoring there is not that easy. Uh, if all the good spots are taken, mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit harder. And it's a pretty. Exp I've told the story of me sitting up and watch all night long in that anchorage. Because it, yeah, yeah, it's 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 calm, and then if the wind comes up, it can be you're on a lee shore at that point. At least if you're on the uh, east side of the, and I guess you can anchor yes. on the east or west side of it. So pick your pick yes. your poison. Well, yeah, the the west side was uh, unattainable for us because it was, uh, yeah, it was the weather was coming in from that side. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, hey, Franz, can you just hold on for a sec? Sure. I've got a offline for two minutes and I'll be back on. All right, good enough. Is that all right? Yep. All right, Jack's back now. So, okay. Uh, yeah, so we we're talking about Volcano. So from Volcano, you went up to Stromboli. And Stromboli, where did you go from there then? Um, we went back to Lipari. Oh, okay, Lipari. That's um, the only um, oh, it's the only safe anchorage for all weather in the Aeolians. So, yeah, I spent, yeah, a, lot of, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Lipari. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a pretty nice, and there's a, some amazing amount of space in some of the anchorages. I mean, there is um, there's one particular anchorage which is sort of closer to uh, the north side of the island on the obviously on the east east coast. Um, well, there's a whole new marina there that wasn't there the last time I went on the uh, north of that anchorage. Just zooming in, so that marina up there is new, Porto Pignat. Nactor, Natoro, Pignatoro, yeah. All right. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a marina there. Yeah. But you, you see that point where you've got this, like, massive amount of sand. Uh-huh. Um, sort of, uh, there is a bit that juts out middle of the island mm-hmm. on the east side. Mm-hmm. And then you head up and you go closer towards the, the northern tip there. And there's this lovely bit of easy to anchor in sand. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a massive anchorage. We actually went, when we sailed back from Stromboli, we sailed there at night, and we found it easy, so easy to anchor there at night because you have so much space. Yeah, that looks yeah. like, a, as long as the winds aren't blowing, as long as you're, uh, the winds are, it looks like it's pretty exposed there, though, isn't it? Yes, ex- exposed. So if yeah. you have reasonable weather, you're okay. But if you want to, you know, if you're prepared to ride out a little bit, then you, at least you've got some good holding in sand that's fairly shallow. That's the that's the area that anchor. that's the area that's right off the pumice mine. Is that correct? There's a big pumice yes. mine on shore. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's the place. Yeah. 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 I, and I, I never anchored there. I just always went to the city because I was I was always lousy weather when I was there. That was my worst weather experience. Was <laughs> the entire Mediterranean was a week in uh, the Aeolian Islands. So. Yeah, um, definitely pick your weather right, and sort of if you can go early in the season, it's good. So definitely, sort of you know May would be very good for that. Um, so the water's not quite that warm, but it's not busy, and you know you you don't have any um, thunderstorms. And later in the season, it's very exposed to um, to thunderstorms and lightning. They really cop a lot there. It's um, and there's no protection from it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Lapari, so, you spent a lot of time in Lapari. How, well, I shouldn't say a lot of time. Maybe a week or so in the area. Yes, about that. And good, you know, reasonable good sailing there. You know, we weren't in a hurry. We could, the wind was okay. It was fairly gentle, but com- very comfortable sailing. Um, so, so what, you know, ta- what what time of year is this we're talking about here, Jack? Uh, I think that was May. Yeah, May. Okay, okay, May. We did stop off at Milazzo after we went through the Messina Strait. So we went to Milazzo before we went to the islands. Um, and there's not much in Milazzo. Milazzo is the the, the little northern poking yeah. peninsula. It's slightly lot, east of the islands. Yeah, a lot of ferries come in and out of there. The Google Earth is showing me a bunch of ferry routes in and out of Malazzo. So yeah, well, they're all heading up to the islands. You see, yeah. with tourist yeah. passengers, and uh, the marinas there are not very well protected. Oh, really? Um, it looks like it's pretty well protected here, but I guess it's not then, huh? Well, okay, maybe the port of Malazzo is, but if, if you look at the the other marinas north of that, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the ones that we stayed in, um, yeah, they're not protected. We we had good weather, so we had no problem staying there. Um, I had to replace the raw water pump. Oh, uh, there, okay, because okay. it started to uh, develop a, a small drip, and um, I was able to order one in and and replace it. So, yeah, it wasn't very protected. Sure, you know, it, it's not too bad, but um, there's no groin around those two northern marinas. No, there's really no breakwater on those marinas except on the north side. Or actually on the one just yep. north, it's, it's wide open. 
So yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after that, um, we decided. Well, we moved along the north part of Sicily, heading west. Cefalu. Uh, mm-hmm, was our, yeah. I, I call it Cefalu. I'm not sure correct if it's Cefalu or Cefalu or Cefalu. Yeah, yeah. Either one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a great place. Yeah, that well. was. It's a neat little town there. I really enjoyed that town. Yeah, you, you can climb up that little fort and you get a fantastic picture of the um, the marina and the anchorage. We were in the anchorage. We didn't bother going. The marina was fairly well protected um, for the weather that we had. Um, and it was it was fairly tight, but, you know, it was easy to find a spot. It was good holding, so... You didn't have to worry too much, um, and that was, like you said, a neat town, interesting place. And uh, did you climb climb up to the top of that? No, nope. nope, I didn't. I never climbed up to that. No. Yeah, no. I put some uh, pictures from up there on my foreign land of the anchorage and the marina. It's very okay. It's quite spectacular. It was a good, good little hike. Um, and then we kept on moving around, um, the, yeah, we, we pretty much went to Palermo after that, okay. I mean, in, in essence. Yeah. Um, what was it and, like, uh, what was it like anchoring in Palermo? It looked to me when I took a bus from Cefalu or Kefalu to Palermo and took a look at the marina, it looked like it was a real busy crowded marina what was it like when you went in there all right so we didn't anchor in Palermo. i don't know what the anchorage is okay. like i don't even know if there is one well there's a big uh, harbor there and i'm zooming in i yeah. see some sort of marina there but they may, it may just be for smaller boats no it looks like there's sailboats in there i'm just zooming in but when yeah. i looked at it it just looked like eh, i'm not going to bring my boat hitter so i never did so where did you go did you stop where did you anchor at palermo then well, in Palermo, I mean, there's a number of little marinas that are operated um, as small businesses, and they're sort of like, you know, you go to one one pier, juts out with about 40 boats on it, and that's like one business, and then you go to the next one next to it, that's another business, and as, you, as you're going past, they're all calling you in and saying, you know, come here, come here. Um, so as if you do book one, and you're sailing past They'll all be calling to you. <laughs> so you better know which one you're heading for. But um, it was great being in the center of Palermo. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those little marinas at the very end of those marinas at Marina de Palermo itself, that's right where the old town starts. Right, yeah. Uh, so great place to go out for dinner, for drinks, walk around the old town, all that sort of stuff. Um, not necessarily super cheap, but not ridiculously priced. I don't think we were paying a lot for it. We're only there a couple of nights anyway. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, you could sort of phone them up and take your pick of little marinas there that are offering um, berthing. So it was pretty easy to go in. I enjoyed enjoyed Palermo when I walked around it. I took a bus in and out one day and I really enjoyed walking around the city, so I thought that was a, a neat town. 
Yeah, I, th I think you could, uh, It's as far as a tourist town is concerned, there is a lot to see there. Depends what you're into. Um, but architectural hist history and, and the rest of it, it's certainly a very important part of um, Sicily. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for so now we're working. Now you've done. Now you've almost circumnavigated Sicily. Well, you probably have between the years then at this point in time. Yeah, we did. We actually crossed our track to circumnavigate after we left Perlomo, um, because the previous year we we'd done a three day hop from Gaeta straight through to Marina de Ragusa, mm -hmm. and it was the um, the well, I'm not sure if you you heard about the Medicaid in in the Met at that time. So, you know, the, the Mediterranean hurricane, and it sort of hit Greece more than anything else. But we're actually using the west side of the circular motion that was creating to get some winds to come back down to Marina de Ragusa. And unfortunately, it sort of moved eastward towards Greece a lot faster than we anticipated. So we sort of ran out of wind halfway through the trip and had to motor the rest of the way. Mm. Certainly not unusual in the middle. No, not at all unusual. Make sure your make sure your um, fuel tank is always topped off when you have a passage, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And as a lot of our friends over the last couple of years have learned, make sure you use diesel additive and try and keep your diesel tank as full as possible to reduce the air gap so as that you reduce the amount of uh, moist air going into your tanks, reduce the amount of water condensation going in, uh, which obviously helps grow bugs that live off diesel. And definitely use the additive, because when the sh the shit hits the fan and you need to use that engine and it's rolling around and rocky and you're trying to get away from a med mooring against a wall, and your engine gets clogged by um, gunge from your diesel tank, mm -hmm. can be pretty disastrous. Now you're talking about the biocide additive. Is that the correct additive you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've yeah, done that no. on my boat since day one, and I've never ever had any problems with that stuff. So it's yeah, we have the same, and yet we had uh, we had friends that um, were on uh, a wall with an un unexpected blow coming through, and you know they they're trying to motor, um, and their engine dies after about ten minutes, and they're they're pulling out sails um, in forty knot winds because otherwise they're on a lee shore. Mm. Um, so totally freaking out and yeah I'd be pretty scared like that as well and it's all to do with the fact that they didn't have the additive or they weren't treating their tank or they didn't, weren't checking it I think was the issue there yeah so from Palermo did you head over to Sardinia then we did we went to Villa Simius okay um, that's where you checked in the last time isn't it yes we went to Villa Simius again uh, it wasn't the weather wasn't as nice for us in Villasimius this year, so it's got this, you know, right on the um, on the corner there, mm -hmm. you've, you've got these two anchorages either side, right? Mm -hmm. And one anchorage is great for wind blowing one way and the other one for the other way, and it only takes you half an hour to get from one side to the other, which is great, uh, but there wasn't much in the way of nice, sunny, warm conditions, so, <laughs> so you know, the kids were sort of complaining a little bit, the water was still a bit cold. You know, it was still early season time, so great beaches, but uh, is a little bit cooler than we were there last time. Um, 
and one of the most expensive places to get fuel from. Oh. It's about yeah, two euro a litre for diesel in Villa Simeus. It was that the previous year and it was the same this year. Mm. Um, and, um, and not very nice water to take on from that marina either. <laughs> so now let me ask you, you knew you had to do about the 3,000 miles to get through the, um, through the Mediterranean down to the Canary Islands. And, well, uh, we zigzagged a bit. Yeah, and you zigzagged a bit. So, you, but you've got months and months to do it. So how did you decide when you wanted to start your sailing season? Or were you anxious to get out and away from the marina as soon as you could? Um, we, we wanted to leave at a particular time because we were catching up for um, a birthday of somebody that was in Syracuse. Okay, okay. So that was sort of, you know, we probably left about a week or two earlier than what we were planning on. Mm-hmm. But we were always sort of planning to, to get away relatively early. We, it was our last um, season with this boat in the Med. Um, so we thought we'd, we would see as much as we can. I mean, you know, obviously we had done um, sort of the we'd done both the east and west coast of Italy and we'd, we'd spent six months in Greece, only a little bit of time in Turkey. Um, and, and we had the first year we had Croatia and so we'd done that side of it, but the majority of the med is probably, I mean, well, you have an equal amount of the med on the other side of mm-hmm. Sicily, right? Right. Uh, we really enjoyed, we really enjoyed the northeast corner of Sardinia. We loved, um, Corsica as well, particularly Bonifacio and, you know, that coast, if you get it with the right weather, it's fantastic. And of course you've always got to allow for weather because, you know, you've got to wait for the right weather. You might have to hide out a couple of days to enjoy a week of good weather. So the sooner you leave, the, the greater your chance of picking up the right weather conditions for the different coasts that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Also wanted to do that dive on the B seven submerged B seventeen on the north of Corsica, and I wanted to make sure we had good weather for that. So that was excellent. Um, and we in the previous year we'd only explored part of Corsica and not not a lot of it. Sort of we we'd done a Jasio um, through to about Porto Vecchio and slightly north of Porto Vecchio and a couple of anchorages, which really is only about a third of the Corsican coast. Mm-hmm. So this year we sort of moved up um, the east, sorry, the west coast of Corsica all the way to Calvi okay. and found a couple of really, really, really nice bays and anchorages along the way there. Okay. Obviously very exposed coast. All right, Jack. On the prevailing wind. Jack, I'm going to stop this recording right here and we're going to continue talking for the uh, next episode. Hold on. All right. Oh, I didn't mention the other. The, another way to support the podcast is to become a Patreon. So go to patreon.com backslash medsailor and support the podcast by becoming a Patreon. I'd appreciate that. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.
Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.